Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello everybody and welcome to the 76th episode of the longest tenured weekly Nuggets podcast hosted by a guy born in the sign of Libra. By the way, fun fact, in the sign of Libra is the title of the only jazz standard composition written by a guy from Serbia. And another fun fact, that guy is not me, is the great late Dusko Gojković. Go check it out. It's amazing. Now that was a digression. Sorry about that. Welcome to the DNVR Nuggets' Serbian Corner. My name is Miroslav Cuk, and I'm here to talk about the very eventful week in the Nuggets universe. The good guys first traveled to Georgia, and I'm not talking about the homeland of Goga Bitadze. I'm talking about Georgia, which has a city called Atlanta within its borders. One of the worst defensive teams hosted the Nuggets, offering many easy buckets over Trey Young. So naturally, Jamal Murray used that game to get in rhythm and have his best scoring game of the season. Jokic was quiet, but also good, which was a big upgrade compared to being loud and bad like he was the week before. That is why Bogdan Bogdanovic won the Serbian Player of the Game award after scoring 40 points with 10 three-pointers included. It was a get-right game for Aaron Gordon, but all those positives wouldn't matter if we didn't get Jay Straw's best performance of his young career. Zeke Nagy returned to the rotation at, and was not great, not terrible, and that's all you need from him. In the end, a relatively easy win on the road, even though our boys toyed with our feelings after letting a 17-point lead evaporate late in the fourth quarter. Not even 24 hours later, the NBA champions were facing a sub-mediocre Chicago Bulls in Windy City. Jamal was out due to a new ankle injury he sustained early in the Atlanta game. It took hours of driving in heavy traffic and hundreds of dollars for each one of the thousands of Jokic fans in the stands to come for a Serbian heritage night and watch Nikola dominate in a game of basketball. But this is a new age NBA and one of the refs didn't like being called a mother fudger after a missed call, so naturally he the reigning uh, finals MVP got to play for only 60 minutes, and that was kind of unbelievable. There is something special about this team, though. No peanut butter and jelly? No problem. Reggie Jackson was amazing again, backed up by MPJ, a rejuvenated AG, and also Jay Straw, who is getting closer to a circle of trust, plus Christian Brown, and of course, DeAndre Jordan, a.k.a. Giant Honey. Yeah, that's, that's how we're going to call him from now on. 40 out, uh, 48 hours later, it was the Yokmas Eve. The next came to town, but it was their second night on a back-to-back, so coach Jacques Vaughn decided to spread the minutes among the all-available players in an effort to survive the mile-higher high air, so it was one of the most carefree wins for the Nuggets in recent history. Jokic uh, had a triple-double in three quarters. Jamal and Reggie played well. Gordon was enforcing near the rim again. Pivot, CB and Jay Straw combined for 36 points off the bench. It was a beautiful night of Nuggets basketball. Last and really least, OKC came to town. Denver kicked their asses earlier this season and for the big part of this game, it looked like it would happen again. This was probably the first game where the absence of KCP, even with everybody else available, really showed. 
The Nugs did keep SGA in check for a big chunk of this game, but several unserious plays at the end of game caused that they couldn't keep up with him and score at the other end. The championship defense completely disappeared in the last few minutes, so every turnover and miss shot tanked their chances of winning. At the very end, Shea get, uh, had a shot for the win, he made it, and the Nuggets conceded their second home loss of the season. Now, I'm a glass-half-full kind of guy. I'm really not, but I want to be one right now. So instead of grieving after home loss, I want to emphasize that this week was one shot away from being perfect, and we take those kinds of results in life all the time. All right, it is time to bring in some re reinforcements. First, a guy that entered our lives as the best NBA Twitter receipts cashier, but then turned into the undisputed champion of Nuggets trivia, calling from the Eastern time zone, it's, it's Wade. Welcome back to the show. Good to be back. Good to be back. I like the intro. <laughs> you're, you're still sleeping on the laurels of, of, of winning, yeah? Oh, yeah, for sure. For sure. I'm an elite front runner, that's for sure. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, last summer was so great, dunking on so many Philly, Phoenix, and other fans. But I kind of got into a place of peace. Uh, whatever those people say now just makes me smile. A couple of days ago, a fan tweeted that Embiid actually has the highest PER in history this season. And all I can say to that is, it's cute. Like, let's see him in April again. Do you have a similar evolution in your... Yeah, I feel like the regular season, especially with a player like Embiid, I'm, I'm not going to say he's tricking anybody. You know, you know, player health is a thing. You know, he has things going on in the postseason. Uh, and and that the system that he's in isn't the best um but you know he's just beating up on all the bad teams right now and inf inflating his stats i wouldn't call it stat padding but just in the terms of who they're going against uh he's doing what he's supposed to do um, but yeah what, what, what he's doing i'm calling stat optimizing yeah he's optimizing it <laughs> yeah. by not playing good teams that's that's right. pretty smart <laughs> so um but yeah but seeing him point out the same stats that Jokic just dominated over the last three years and you know now they're starting to put some stock into it it's just it's just funny because you know you know now they see it although it really doesn't mean anything because the playoffs is a different game but you know whatever small wins they can get you know I'll let them have it but it doesn't doesn't bother me none at this point I, I completely agree. Okay, let me introduce now a true hooper, a Colorado native who became a content specialist for Prep Hoops, but most importantly, he is the most beloved DNVR Nuggets fellow in Serbia, and I've seen it with my own eyes, I'm not exaggerating. It's Dusan Jovanovic, a.k.a. Duvalier Dev Superstar Johnson. Dev, how's life? I truly can't believe that you said I'm a Colorado native because I now have my Serbian passport. So I don't know. I'm a Serbian. I'm a Serbian, not only at heart, but um, it's it's official. I, I I consider you a man of two motherlands. So it's it, you're a you're a man of the world, really. Absolutely, absolutely. How are you? Uh, pretty good, pretty good. Uh, tell me one thing before we begin with we all the the Nuggets talk. Uh, give me one name in Colorado hoops, high school or, or, or college, we should expect big things from in, in the future. Um, Andrew Crawford, he plays for uh, Thunder Ridge High School. He's gonna, he just committed to Colorado University. Uh, they're actually uh, recruiting in-state um, as of late, and, and that's pretty big um, for the state. Um, but yeah, I think that he's, he's going to be really good, um, you know, moving forward. Which position does he play? He's a point guard. He's a tall point guard, a big guard, um, about 6'5", um, athletic lefty that just does whatever he wants on the court. He's been playing for all four um, years, and he's going to go over to see you and be able to play. We, we like those guys. We, 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 we could have another another big point guard in, in these parts. Okay, so let's let's now move to, to last night. What the hell happened last night? Like... The Nuggets played really well for like 45 minutes of the of the playtime when everybody was just getting ready to to 
to gather their popcorn and stuff and just go home and find their, their car in the parking lot, they just started, you know, vomiting all over themselves and at the end they, they lost the game. But this is not the first time the Nuggets didn't excel in the in the clutch this season. I looked up the, the net rating of Nikola Jokic because he is a guy uh, who is always a part of, of you know, key clutch uh, five guys units uh, in the last six seasons. And they have been a big plus in all of the last five seasons in clutch, like from plus 7.1, which was two seasons ago, to plus 27.1, which was last season, actually. And this season, we are seeing them being, a, or we, we are seeing him being a minus 10.4 net rating in clutch. Dev, do you have a theory why the Nuggets are not playing as well in close games like they did previously? Yeah, I think that, um, like the last game, for instance, they just kind of took their foot off the gas. Um, not playing with the same type of, hey, we have to um, play with that same type of hunger. And also, I think there's a bit of like teams not figuring it out, but like already seeing it so many times that they're like, hey, this is what they like to go to in these type of situations. Or let's try to throw um, Jokic off by giving him different looks. We're going to send double teams or um, we're going to just have a, a guy roaming um, in different ways like that. So I do think that there's um, different times um, that that people are throwing things at him and it's just like wrinkles that he's not used to or just ready for at that moment. Yeah, wait, do, do you think it was just the fact that, that Oklahoma City decided to to force Nikola uh, hard doubling him into a passer and just praying for the other guys not to hit shots? Yes, uh, I think it was a lot of that, but also I feel like Jokic got kind of um, passive in the fourth quarter. He was not taking the shots that he was hitting earlier in the game or that we're just so accustomed to him hitting where he, when he is aggressive. And I think a little bit is that he has um, not been making every single shot. So like your confidence is a bit down, but he wanted to get other people involved um, in that game. So they wanted him to make the extra pass. He made the extra pass. You're going to settle for that. But you also got to give your, you know, kudos to the Thunder. They responded after every single big shot that Denver made. And Jokic made some very, very good uh, progressions, made good passes, and guys were hitting shots. They just were poised. They, they decided to come back down and, and hit their shots. And um, really, I think it was just a, a mixture of both. But Thunder played well, and they responded well. So wait, last time they met the Thunder, they they destroyed them because they kept uh, Shea Gilles Alexander really in check. I I think he had like 18 points in that game or something like that. His like lowest point total of of the season by that point. Do you think they they just oversaw uh, the Thunder as a very dangerous team in in the clutch? So this is why they they had it slip out, slip away. No, I mean, I think the the Thunder, I mean, they've been a good team so far this year overall. Um, I think Denver kind of like punched them in the mouth the last time they seen them and the Thunder kind of remembered that. Um, and then also with there being no KCP uh, in the clutch time last night, that really showed last night because uh, Jalen Williams and, uh, and Shea were able to get to wherever they wanted on the floor and there was nothing Denver could really do about it. Um, and they forced the defense to collapse, and they were making the right plays to Chet or whoever to to finish at the rim. And um, you know, even when the, the Nuggets were up ten points, nine points, you know, they just kept making the right plays at the other end. So um, I don't think the Nuggets took them lightly, but it's just a really good basketball team that also wanted to win. Dev, do do you find OKC uh, as a real? like top three, top four team in the West right now? No, I don't think top four team. Um, I do think that they're really talented, and I think that <clears throat> their future is really bright. I think that they are going to make progressions to get there. So, like, maybe they're a couple years out from that. But right now, no. But I do think that they are um, – they're hungry. They really want to get there. They have the um, the team to get there. They have good defense. Um, they turn you know teams over. Everybody seems to know – um, what they're supposed to do out there. And then they have a superstar um, in SGA. So they have what it takes to get there, just not there quite yet. 
I love Chet Holmgren so much, man. Like, like he's a plastic man. It's it's crazy the kinds of blocks he he's getting. Like, I I'm actually sorry that he didn't get the nine blocks, but I believe it was eight blocks at the end. They took away one of one of his blocks. It was it was really impressive what he did last night. Kudos to him. Okay, let's now move to to the Chicago game and and Jokic's ejection there. But it, it had an evolution. Before that happened, he already had one ejection that was, you know, pretty fairly uh, given to him. How do you guys feel about his level of frustration? And is it warranted when you see him play every night? Let's start with Wade on this one. Yeah, I think his frustration is warranted at this point. Um, you know, being a Nuggets fan and, and seeing the whistle that we get as a team over the years, even when we didn't have a Jokic on our team, um, you know, we kept hearing the thing, well, when you win, you, you'll get those calls. Or, you know, you know, you gotta you have to earn that kind of respect to, to get to that level. So with Jokic back to back MVPs and then finals MVP winning the championship and then coming into this season and seemingly getting a worse whistle than he had last year, um, and teams kind of know that, and they're getting away with some calls, even when he doesn't have the ball in his hands. So I definitely think it's warranted, and it's, you know, I'd rather him try to make a point now and take a stand now to at least try to help it as the season progresses instead of letting it boil over when we need him, you know, when the when the, when the season gets really tough. Yeah, I think it's uh, definitely warranted. Um, the thing is, it's not new. Like, this is frustration that's been brewing for years now where he feels like he's not getting a fair whistle or he feels like he's, you know, getting abused out there and the refs are just kind of letting it happen. And other teams are aware of that. Like Wade said, other teams know that they could get away with a a bit more on Jokic. We haven't even got to the point where he's getting all those crazy scars. Like that's still coming. Um, He gets fouled a lot and he's a, a player that, he, he does get frustrated when he when he's not getting those. So he's going back and forth with the refs all the time. He's talking to the refs before the games um, to try, you know, try to win them over and things like that. But it's also the way that he plays. Um, he's not, you know, flailing every single time he shoots it. He's not looking to try to get, um, you know, become a foul merchant or anything like that. So when you're a tough guy, you just don't get it the exact same way. So I feel like Cam and LeBron are in the same token of they should be going to the free throw line a lot more than they do. It's just one is like going to argue and he's going to scream at you for not making those type of calls. Now that you've mentioned that, do you feel that he has more problems with younger, less experienced refs? Or is it maybe like some kind of concentrated effort from all the all the refs to like clean up the foul baiting or stuff like that this season. Def. Uh, um, I, think that, I think that they're getting tricked. Like the refs are so used to getting tricked. There's so many foul merchants throughout the NBA where they're seeing guys fall to the ground. Um, they're seeing guys get their arms, you know, caught under another person and still trying to get the shot off. Um, and there's so many of those like that you're seeing every single night. When you have a person that doesn't do those things or a team that doesn't do those things, it doesn't look the same. You're like, yeah, you're not even trying um, to get those calls. You're not being as aggressive as I'm seeing everyone else. So I don't think it has anything to do with like younger or anything like that. I just think that they're so used to what a real foul looks like um, in their eyes that that's how they're calling the games. So wait, I was pissed off when when Nicola got ejected in, in Chicago because it was like, uh, I don't know, three in the morning in Serbia and I was watching live and I was like, oh man. But I, I can imagine people in the stands felt a bit more pissed than I did because I, you know, could have just shut down the game and, and, and go to sleep, even though I didn't. But <laughs> what does the league, I mean, should the league penalize uh, refs for, for acting like that? I think I think there should be some sort of penalties or suspensions or you know i think and it has to be public if there is something like i think the fans deserve to know what's happening with the with the officials the same way we know what's happening with the players when when they step out of line or do something they're not supposed to do um i mean because you know it's in the first half of that game last night it's the only time he's in chicago and you know the fans didn't get to see him do what he's you know what he's done so um i, I definitely think 
and although it doesn't change what happened, it, if I can walk away from something knowing like, all right, cool. So, so we can all agree. And it's, it's been documented that that wasn't the right choice to make, you know, at least you'll feel better about it. And at least the referees will be less inclined to, to be willing to throw a player out, um, you know, just one tech and the immediate toss from, you know, just running up the court and yelling something out of an, at an official, like that's, that's insane. <laughs> So, Dev, do you think that big media responded well on this situation, calling out the ref? Absolutely. Um, because of what it really means. You just talked about, like, the biggest thing. This is entertainment. Um, there are people that spent their money to go to that game. It was Serbian night, so you tried to build um, the Serbian following to come out there. They were booing at a way arena. Like, that goes to show you how much that, you know, meant to see that. And then also the big push right now is for stars to be playing. Um, you don't want to have stars sitting, um, you know, when they get there. Well, you just showed that you're going to make a star sit over something that was pretty small. Um, that that really had to do with, like, pride. Um, you just don't do those type of things. And I'm glad that the, the national guys called it out because now they're starting to see, like, he is not getting, uh, you know, the right type of whistle. Um, and that's not just because he he's a star, but – you do have to give him some type of superstar. He's a superstar in this league. So you, you need to just um, treat him as such um, because he is the one that's bringing all the attention. Okay. I think uh, I think we, we've uh, dealt with this uh, subject enough throughout this this week. So let's take one short break and then we'll move to the Yokmas Eve uh, game night. Don't go anywhere. Okay. Back to Yokmas Eve. So we had the Nets in, in the R arena. Nikola was back to his efficient self. He had a triple double in three quarters, like eight of twelve from the from the field, finally shooting well. But the biggest story for me of, of this game was actually the trio of Peyton Watson, Christian Brown, and Julian Strotter playing great minutes. All of them played like 20 plus minutes and and were really really good in that game wait how would you how would you compare their seasons so far how would you rank them in your circle of trust like is it the starters then reggie and then these three guys or how do you do it yeah yeah i mean yeah that that'll be the ranking for me of course the starting five and then reggie is the is that first man off the bench and then uh and then those three, I would say um, uh, Christian Brown first, and then uh, Julian is a close second, and then Peyton's third. I mean, Peyton, he's so – with him, it's the range of how well or how bad he can look, even in the course of a single game, is 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 uh, it's very noticeable. And, and for me, I, I kind of like the, you know, knowing what to expect from certain guys. So what – what Julian and, and, and CB gives us, um, I can, I feel like we can count on that um, more so than what Peyton gives us on both overall. You know, defensively, Peyton's been been locked in so far, in my opinion. But um, the other side of the floor leaves, you know, there's a lot to wonder there. Mine's yeah, so, mine yeah, actually so. changed um, on that. Um, Peyton is up there now for me, and that that's way different than beginning of the year. I did not expect him to take so so big of a leap. And you can see it with how Malone has put him in the games now. Um, I think that he – I mean, of course, it goes starters Reggie because that's how they come into the game. Um, but now Peyton is doing it on both ends of the floor. But also his defensive impact just seems uh, like a bit more than Christian right now. I think Christian is still trying to find his footing. Um, but the ceiling, the defensive ceiling for Peyton is just so high. He's able to guard, you know – the actual you know, guards, but also the bigger guards as well. He can step out and, and defend a wing um, while also getting himself going on offense. So I think that I'm starting to to, to, to love that part of him. And then Christian and then Julian. Um, but that makes sense. Julian's the rookie here. Um, and then I just feel like Christian and Peyton swapped. Yeah, that's, that's interesting because before the season started, we were sure that Christian would be the sixth guy. You know, nobody was talking about Reggie at all. And and now we see that Christian is actually having 
I mean, he's scoring more points than he did last season. Like a lot more points. He he was not very, very uh, uh, offensive oriented last season. But on the other hand, it, it looks like Michael Malone does not have the same kind of um, trust in him uh, as he did in the playoffs and late last season. So it it's more like a, a mid-season, last-season form for him right now. Are you dev- surprised by the fact that he's not a runaway first guy out of this trio right now? Not really, um, honestly, because... Um... I feel like he's more of a specialist. Like his is just straight defense. Um, so I, I feel like that's just a, a bit different. Also, he does not shoot the ball um, as well. So offensively, he's, he's pretty limited. Um, and then you just don't have to call for him as much um, because there is the, the wing uh, presence. But with Peyton Watson, like he can put the ball on the floor. He is a specialist on defense, but he's also starting to operate his game. He's a playmaker that wants to run the floor. So I think he just adds a, a few different elements. Um, but that is not where I was to start the year. So it's not like, hey, I seen this coming. I did not. Yeah. Wait, were you surprised? I mean, it's a dumb question. Before the season, I was afraid that Peyton Watson might be the biggest um, a fog of war that Calvin Booth put on, on, on league because he was propping him up a lot. And I was like, is he really thinking that, that Peyton is going to be that great this season? It, it, it felt really early to me. But, but uh, after 25, 26 games, we can actually see Peyton Watson being really talented on offense on top of being like one of the top five on-ball defenders right now in the league. Yeah, I mean... <clears throat> Like offensively, I I do notice he's learning how to play, you know, within the Nuggets system, and also just I mean, it, you could tell his skills are just super raw, uh, even at this point. Um, so just learning how you know playing the the deep deep corner, cutting to the rim at the right time, and finishing you know above everybody else. Um, the three point, the three balls falling for him over the last couple of games, um, which is a you know a nice sign if he can be a, a more consistent shooter. Um, but yeah, going into the season, the way Calvin talked about him, I thought that was a long shot. But uh, time and time again, uh, Calvin kind of shows us that he he really knows what he's doing up there. <laughs> Dev, how would you rank these three guys in terms of ball handling and playmaking? The young guys? Yeah, the three young guys. Really, they're, they're, they're not in positions that they have to play make um, much. So we haven't got to really see too much of it. Um, I would probably say, as of right now, um, I would go Julian, Peyton, Christian. Yeah. As of right now. Um, on but again, they don't have to put themselves in situation. And I put Julian first because they've ran sets where he's the point guard. They've put him at the point guard position. But also they have done that with Christian Brown, too, because they want a defensive only um, team. And then also I feel like Peyton kind of gets um, tunnel vision when he like, he makes up his mind and he's just going to go um, and he's going to either get fouled or score a basket. But he doesn't have to explore his game in those same same type of ways. Yeah, I'm, I'm really excited about Julian getting chance to play make to ball handle a lot this season because I've seen the evolution of Bogdan Bogdanovic back in his days when he was playing in parties on Belgrade. He was a shooting guard, one of the most talented shooting guards in Europe. But then one season, and he was like 20 years old back then, all of their point guards got hurt, got injured for full seasons. And he was pushed into a point guard position. And that was actually the point when he made the biggest leap of his career. Like when he was forced into into being a, a playmaker, he really up his skill. Wait, do you think that that we can expect uh, Julian to be like a secondary ball handler uh, uh, in significant minutes by the end of this season? Uh, I mean, possibly. Um, um, but I would say like in spurts, you know, I feel like he's a very good decision maker, but it, I think if you make him the primary ball handler for like an entire stint, 
you know, with Jamal coming up the floor, like say, you know, you know, if Reggie's not available. I, I don't feel too confident in that from a rookie um, on a defending championship team. Um, but, you know, in spurts, you know, a few plays down, if they decide to run a few things through him, I do like, you know, he has a good floater game. He knows how to find the guy in the right pockets. But um, him running an offense, I feel like that's that's a lot to put on him, at least this year. But I do see that maybe somewhere down the line he could become that kind of player. I was salivating that that was two days ago when Adam showed that stat for, for Julian being like the, the most efficient uh, handoff uh, guy in the in the whole league, which was pretty <laughs> pretty, pretty amazing. Dev, how how does how does uh, Calvin Booth find these guys? It seems like he has a like a, a operation, like it's just like a math. He just like these are the three things that I really like. If you have those three things, it's going to matter um, for him. I mean, he's just going to go after it um, as, as well as if you're just able to play really good basketball with size and be a good defender. Like he, he just seems to go after certain type of guys, but also he does his homework. He's getting out to games. He's um, taking chances on people that other people aren't taking chances on. Um, so like there is like uh, there's a method to the badness. Yeah, I, I agree with that. Okay, let's take one more short break and then we'll move to to some other uh, right at this moment more important guys. Don't go anywhere. Okay, let's now move to the the three guys that are part of the core four, Jamal Murray, Michael Porter and Aaron Gordon. Now, all three of these guys have had an up and down season so far for different reasons. Like Jamal is the most obvious one because he missed a lot of games this season. But even in those games when he was playing healthy, he wasn't scoring in bunches. He did start as a as a really good facilitator at the beginning, but even that faded off uh, a bit uh, lately. Wait, how do you see Jamal's season so far? I would say it's a bit underwhelming, um, you know, given what we saw from him coming out, you know, off that playoff run. But at the same time, it's kind of almost expected because of the player he always comes into the season as, and he kind of builds up to that point. Um, but even with that being said, I do think it's a little under the standard that he's set for himself um, over the last, uh, at least last season um, at the start of the year, coming back off the the ACL injury. So um I guess there's more room for growth with that being said, but yeah, I would, you know, I would just say underwhelming so far. Dev, how did you see Jamal so far? I think he's having as normal as a season as he always has. Um, and then the thing is, we are just so used to what he looks like in the playoffs, and we're just coming off of an incredible playoff run that no one has had. You know, like he, he really ups his level so much that you feel like that's how he should always be playing. And it's just hard to, like, unsee that. Um, so I do think this is a normal game, uh, year for him. There is the health um, concerns, I would say, um, because he did not have those last year. Um, and that was coming back off of an injury. And, you know, every time he went down, everybody held their breath. Um, so I think that you're starting to see that a bit more now. Um, but it, I, you also know that it's going to come he's going to have some eruption games he's going to get back into himself i really still feel like he's out of shape i don't think that he's in the right playing shape right now um and that usually comes when the season gets under like fully underway maybe the middle of the season we're going to see him start turning them to himself and we know what he is in the playoffs why do you think it takes so much time to get into shape every season because how much of a competitor he is, I think that um, I think that he really wants to be in tip top shape at the end of the year. Like that's when, like mentally, um, he's doubted. That's when when everyone else is like slowing down and he isn't. Um, and then also, I think that just coming off of a long year, um, it just took a while for him to get act. Like I think he took some real time off. He accomplished the one goal that he really did want. Um, and until he sets another one that's higher, maybe he wants to make an all-star. So then he goes back to that, or maybe there's some doubters, then he goes back to that. But I do think that it was just such a long season that he took time off. So 
wait right now jamal is let me see uh, his average right now is 18 points which is the fewest since his second season and his assist numbers are slightly below what he was last season although that was his best season so far uh, at six so wh where did you wh where do you expect those number numbers to to settle by, by the end of the season 18 and six right now uh, i think he'll get it right up to 20. um i do know that one game he got hurt it was very early and it kind of tanked his averages so i think he'll get it back to about 20 points maybe seven assists by the end of the year uh if not more because uh, like it's, you know it's it's like a snowball with him he just he just keeps getting better as the year goes on uh, so i see the same thing happening for him this year yeah, I'll go to around like 21 and 7. We really have not had one of those like 40-point outings. Uh, he's going to have a random maybe 50 ball, especially how everybody else is getting them. Um, but like we, we do have to expect that those type of games are like coming. And also, if, if you think that he's having an underwhelming season or not playing up to par and he's going through these injuries, think about he's already at that average now. He's going to start playing better. He's going to start attacking more. And I really do think a lot of it also has to do with how Denver's playing. They're really like a slow-paced, uh, methodical team. Um, there are going to be times that they're going to have to speed it up. They're going to go through these same type of stretches that we're seeing in Bede, and those type of teams get to go through where you have a soft schedule. You're going to start playing more home games. You're not playing so many back-to-backs. The schedule's about to get, um, you know, unfavored, like on par with them, too. Um, that they're going to be able to start getting it going. So I do expect, like, everybody's numbers to go up. So Okay, yeah. Yeah, 21 and 7. That that sounds sounds a bit optimistic, but I think it's it's something completely manageable for him. That that just means that he would need to be, like, 24 and 8 for the rest of the season or 7 and a half to, to get there. And, of course, he can do it. Um, let's now move to Aaron Gordon. Aaron Gordon started the season pretty pretty strong, but then he kind of you know tapered away. Like like he he it feels like he he lowered his intensity on both sides of the court, and at some point he he wasn't even trying to 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 push the the ball in into the rim as he usually does. He was shooting a lot of mid-range shots and and three pointers but lately he's been he's been better uh wait he's right now at 13 points which would be his uh, second least the only time he had less was when he just came to denver and he was just happy to be there but in the last three seasons this is his lowest point total his rebounds are actually up uh 7.2 right now and 3.6 assists is also his his biggest number so far where do you see, how do you how did you see him so far and where do you see him going forward um with him i think is his um as far as the, the i think the injury whatever the heel thing he was dealing with was it was bothering him he had a few down games and the next thing you know he showed up on the injury report and then he i think he missed two games in a row uh, then he, and when he came back, he kind of had that that burst and that that different look to him. So, I think with him as well, he'll improve as the year goes on. Um, you know, his assist numbers will probably go up a little bit. And I think he'll probably get closer to 15 points a night uh, towards the end of the year. What What did you see, Dev, so far? Um, I, I feel like with Aaron Gordon, he's like really one of those. Um, mental guys like everything with him is like vibes and um you know like it, it is mental like part of the game um it is where he started to get bored um and he was not as engaged um also um those type of guys like they ride waves like when things are up they're great when things are down they're not his shot was not falling he was not scoring a lot um and you've seen everything else start to wane his energy was down um he's not being as aggressive on the boards um, and things. And also, I think that that injury did have to do with it um, because after he's taken those, you know, couple games off, he looks back. He looks like he's ready for the season. Um, he's quietly getting good numbers now. Um, he, he's like, like sneakily putting up 
monster games without actually having to um, expand his game. He's not shooting threes the same way. Um, he's dunking every single thing that comes his way. He's also not tired every single game from chasing guys around on defense anymore because they have KCP, they have Peyton Watson, um, they have Christian Browns and things like that. So I I do think that he's also um, starting to to start feeling like himself. So two seasons ago, he had an effective field goal percentage of 57. Last season, he was at 60% field goal, uh, effective field goal percentage. But this season, he is only at 52. And what's even worse than that, his free throw uh, percentage is lowest of his career. He is just at 56%. He's never been a great uh, free, uh, free throw shooter, never above like 73, 74%. But 56, that's that's like slightly better, better than than giant honey, DeAndre Jordan. Dev, do, do you see a chance for him to improve at least at the free throw line this season? Yep, yep. It's a great question, and here's why. They're about to start playing at home. Do you know what he has in his home? A basketball court. He gets to go downstairs <laughs> more often and shoot free throws. They've been on the road. He hasn't been able to get his shots up in the same type of ways. He has to go in these random gyms. He's about to be at home a lot more and, and shooting free throws. Um, also, like he has to know that that's the part of the, the game that like he's giving away points. Like they're going to start fouling him. They're you know they are going to just start trying to hit him and get him to the foul, uh, free throw line. So he has to be able to consistently hit that. So I do think that that he is going to start being into that part of his game, and we're going to see better numbers from him. So I, I do expect his uh, his numbers to be up. Wait, why do you think Aaron Gordon is shooting so so horribly this season? Um, I, I think it's it's just uh, um, like Dev said earlier, just the rhythm of the team and how things are going as far as the vibes. Uh, he does kind of play into how things are going. You know, if you look back at like the playoff runs with No Murray and how like quote unquote bad he looked uh, because of how bad things were going with the team, and then once things picked up, it was it was you know just as important as he was to you know the down years he was equally important as to the championship run we had last year so as the team pick picks things up and you know we get these 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 run of these home games under i think he'll start to improve at the line and from the field as well okay let's now move to to michael porter jr always my favorite uh, player to talk about so in 20 2020-2021 season, he was averaging 19 points per game. Then he got injured in the season after that, uh, took a full season to recover. Last season uh, was his most mature season of his career, 17.4 points and 5.5 and uh, rebounds. This season, he's almost at that uh, point, uh, uh, point, point, at 16.8 points per game. But his rebounds are through the roof at eight rebounds per game. We are even seeing a shy 1.5 assists from him. Wait, do you expect Michael to to uh, score more for the rest of the season, or do you think this might be his his shooting slot? For him, I think this might this might be it. Like if I mean, if Murray and Gordon improve and and in order to put up more, you know, there's only but so many points that can go around, and Jokic is at 27 this year. Um, but as you mentioned earlier, some, he had a mature year last year, and this year I think he's like, you know, he has he's trying to be as complete as possible. I kind of want him to shoot more shots and just just be a little unconscious with it, just just let the ball fly a little bit. Um, it's a lot of just catching and you know trying to make a move and you know maybe overthinking it a bit. I kind of wish he would just at some, you know, just get up eight or nine threes in a, in a game and, and let that be the consistent, you know, what to expect from him. Um, and with that, you may, you know, you'll see his points go up, but I think it's just, he's taking himself out of his own rhythms, trying to do things for the team. And I think it's losing a bit of what, you know, we all loved about him, you know, early on in his career. I still love what he's given us though, by the way, like, don't get me wrong, but I think, where he's at is kind of where he, where he'll be for this season. The day I'm going to be the happiest is the day that Michael Malone comes out and says, we want Mike to shoot at least 10 three-pointers a game. That's what, you know, that's what 
I don't remember the team. I think it was Cleveland. Mike Miller was with LeBron, and they said, you have to shoot this many shots um, a game. And they were forcing him to take those type of shots. I can't wait till Michael Malone gets to that part, and also Michael Porter Jr. gets to that part, where mm-hmm. that's just part of the offense, that they're like, hey, you're so good of a shooter that we want you to let him fly, because he has his up and down. And also, I think that that's where he struggles with is, I want to be part of the team and, you know, going through my progressions, but also I want to step out and be able to shoot because there is no bad shot for Michael Porter Jr. He, it, there's no contested shot. He could shoot over anybody. And we are now starting to see like what type of shot creator he is. He's doing step backs. He's doing side steps. He's knocking down everything. Um, but he just, he gets down on himself or he wants to be so part of the, the offense that he doesn't take all of those unconscious shots and he needs to be an unconscious shooter. So um, I can't wait till we get to that part, but I, I do love the fact that he's so engaged on grabbing every single rebound. It does suck. He's taking him away from Jokic, but also there's another rebounder out there um, that you just feel confident about because he has the size, he has the length, he has the athleticism to just be able to go as well after um, and then also, I think that once he starts to get more confident in being part of the offense, that's when the scoring is going to have his huge 30 point games, huge 40 point games. We're going to have more. Yeah. Mike moments. And I, I miss those. I miss those so much. So I feel like his three point percentage fluctuate, fluctuates so much because he's he has turned himself into a pretty streaky shooter. He is either shooting one of six or five of six every night. Do do you think, Dev, that upping his volume would even that out a bit and just make him more consistent? Yeah, more consistent, but also just like more confident. And he's a really confident shooter because he knows how good of a shooter he is. But when you know that like your guys got your back because you're supposed to take those shots or they're trying to find you a bit more, your confidence, go- you have the ultimate green light. And he's the best shooter on the team without a bright green light. So, like, think about, like, a yellow light being the best shooter on the team. That's, like, a crazy type of confident shooter um, to be. But you're also taken away from what got you there. You're taken away from that weapon that you really should have. So, um, I want him to get to that point. And that comes with more shots. So, wait, you're a stats guy. Give me give me your best case scenario for, for Michael Porter percentage-wise and volume-wise. Like for his peak for his career for the, like the rest of the yeah, season like 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 the best season of his career uh yeah i would say the best season i would say nine or more attempts a night at like 41% shooting i think yeah this year he's uh um he's under 40% and he's not um he's not he's not i mean i'm not going to say he's nowhere near nine but he's like at like seven seven, seven attempts a game yeah. Um, so I think, you know, two or three more threes a night and that'll help with his rhythm. And I think that'll help with his percentage as well. Uh, so I'll say, yeah, 41 percent, nine to 10 shots, threes a night. And I think that 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 that'll be part of one of his best career years if he can put that together. Now, I have to tell you guys why I've uh, spent this whole segment on on Michael, Jamal and Aaron. And it's the fact that I want to ask you. Is it time to kiss goodbye the hope to have more than one all-star player this season? Like with Jamal missing all that time and Gordon being, you know, up and down, Michael as well. Can we realistically expect them to to climb enough by the end of all-star voting to get another guy on all-star? If they do get it, it would have to be as like a reserve you know, like somebody goes down with an injury or something like that, and then they get voted in or something like that. It can't be just like straight votes or um, because of like the production that they're having. Because one, first, they're not as popular as a team. Like people are just not voting for them in the same type of ways. Um, But also like Jamal is already close to like the injury portion of it all. So that like is already taken um, its toll. But his numbers are not the same. There's been some crazy numbers getting put up in the NBA this year yeah. where new guys are stepping into it um, and having these monster nights where that's going to stick on a lot of people's minds. Um, so I don't think that it's there for Jamal, but also Aaron Gordon, he's not ever a guy that's going to get that same type of attention, um, even though he deserves it. Um, 
Same with like KCP on like defensive player of the year. He's never on there, even though that he's a tough assignment every single night. The guys that are getting all of these numbers are going crazy every single game. They know when they come to Denver, they have to go against KCP. That should be enough. You think SGA doesn't think that this is all defensive type of player that he's going against? Um, if he returns on Monday against Luca, it's going to be another guy. He's like, all right, you know, they have guys over there that can slow me down. But I just think that it's um, tough for everyone else to see that. We follow the team. We see the team a little bit more. So, of course, we're biased. But the, to the outside world, I don't think it's the same. What do you say, Wade? Yeah, I wholeheartedly agree with that. Uh, small market, you know, no one cares. I mean, I'm still surprised that Jokic was able to get two MVPs um, out of his career playing in Denver. Uh, it just shows how, how much greater he has to be uh, to even be in those type of discussions. Uh, but yeah, as far as the all-star talk, um, you kind of have to go above and beyond in this in this market, you know, as a nugget. And the injuries and the, the inconsistencies, um, you know, I think it's going to hurt those three this year. Um, but they could get in by a long shot. Murray strings together a, a crazy run, 25, 5 and 5 or something from now until uh, late January, uh, you know, for the next five to six weeks. Maybe it can get interesting, but I don't see it happening this year. Yeah, I agree with with that. Takes it. It must be an injury replacement because we've mm-hmm. seen those kind of guys like Utah having three three All Stars, you know, while none of them are really super super high level. Just just uh, a chance for one of the top uh, teams to get the second All Star. I, I believe that's the 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 most possible path this season okay let's take one last uh, break and then we'll play one hopefully fun game don't go anywhere okay it is time to end the week on a high note i hope so we're gonna play a game called lmnop so yeah that that sounds crazy so let me explain l is for larry M is for Magic, N is for Nicola, over playoffs. So I'm going to give you a series of uh, questions, uh, and you will tell me if this stat belongs to Nicola, Larry, or Magic. That sounds uh, uh, simple, and you can you can answer together. I don't care. I'm not keeping tally. We're just having fun. So... First question, and here's a nice picture. I, it took me whole five minutes to di- do this part. So, guys, tell me, who has the most career playoff three-point attempts out of these three guys? I will go Larry. I, I'll go with Jokic on that one. <laughs> it is, Jokic. It's, <laughs> it's not by a lot. <laughs> but, man... Larry didn't have a super long career, but he still played like for for twelve seasons, something like that. And Nikola is already above him, even though we say he's not uh, shooting a lot of threes. Well, in playoffs, he's actually shooting uh, uh, quite a lot uh, of threes, comparing to regular season. Yeah, that was the first one. That was a bit surprising to me. Let's go to the second one. Who has the most career playoff three pointers made? I'm going to go right back to Larry. Yeah, same. I'm going to agree. Yeah, you you would think that. But Nicola is number one there (laughs) as well. It's it's not really close. It's 124 to 80. And and Magic Johnson, 51, not really a three-point shooter. Okay, next one. Now, if you uh, watch the numbers, now you you would probably know the answer here. Who has the highest playoff three-point percentage of these three guys? I'm gonna go Nikola. Yeah, forty-one point two to Larry's only thirty-two percent three-point shooting in 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 the playoff. Yeah, I guess it was a different kind of defense back in the eighties on the three-point shot, and of course, I think he had only like one point five three-point attempts per game, so it wasn't as easy to get into rhythm on that low volume. Okay, let's we have I believe three more. We'll see. 
So who has the highest playoff points per game out of these three? Oh man, that's tough. Uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna have to go Jokic. I know he's top ten all time right now. If he was if he were to retire, so I'm gonna go Jokic. Yeah, I'm gonna follow. I'm gonna follow Nikola. Yes, and it's not really close. Twenty-seven point five, twenty-three point eight for Larry, and nineteen point five for Magic. By the way, I'm comparing Nikola to these two guys because they are my favorite comps for Jokic. Historically, I always felt like he is a hybrid of these two, just a seven-foot-tall hybrid of these two. Okay, next one. Who has the highest playoff field goal attempts per game? So per game, not total, per game. This time I'm going back. Who is the biggest chucker here? Larry. Yeah, I'm going back to Larry. Yeah, I would think so. It's again Nicola. <laughs> oh, that <laughs> was close. Points. 19, just, yeah, it is close. This it is, is a close. trick to be, game. To be okay. fair, it is close. Nicola wins. <laughs> yeah, so 20, 20 shots for Nicola, 19 NWA, for Larry. Nicola wins again. <laughs> Only 13.4 for Magic. I guess he was a true through point guard. Okay, and I believe we have one more. No, we don't. This is the last one. That, then that's that's maybe the the craziest one. Like Nikola is is the biggest chucker of them all and he, he has made the most points of them all in this his playoff career. I guess you can say that it is because the stats are a bit inflated right now because of the three point shot. And everything and uh, kind of a different uh, approach to defense, I guess. But yeah, those are pretty, pretty sweet, sweet numbers. But... I like to look at that game or just like the idea of how great Larry Bird was and how he ranks on the top, you know, 25 players of all time. And like you throw in Jokic, like, and those were playoff numbers. And that's where a lot of these guys get um, where they become legend, you know, Larry Legend. Um, you become that based off of how you do in the playoffs and bringing in championships. And you can't do that. If, if Jokic doesn't win the championship last year, he's going to be, they're going to treat him as if he's just a regular guy. But since he got that mm -hmm. now, you get to put him with the legends. You get to see um, the type of impact that he has. And those are against guys that everybody, those are household names, Larry Bird, Magic Johnson. Nikola has to be in there um, and up in those in the playoffs and making it that much more, um, important shows how like what type of impact he has on his team on the game of basketball. He's a top twenty of all time, and he's pushing to be top ten. Yeah. So wait, <clears throat> Magic and Bird—they are definitely top ten all time on most people's lists. So how many more championships does Nikola need to get into that same stratosphere? I would say, honestly, like. Me speaking, like, you know, as a biased Nuggets fan, I would just say just one more, um, given the market that he's in, in the state of the NBA right now. You know, back then it was Lakers, Celtics every year for almost a decade. Um, so given how much more competitive the NBA is now and how hard it is to string together a dynasty or to be that one great player in, in an era, I would say one. But to make it, you know, really official, I would say, if he retires with three championships with and keeping those numbers at that level, um, I think he'll be top 10 without a doubt. Yeah. If Is that got, enough? Def? If he got to three, I think he's, you're going to push him close to like people's top five, really. Like it's undeniable. If he got to three, I think that one more is all you need because you're already higher than them in all the stats. You're already, you know, better than them, but it also like, that was a different time. And like you said, they were playing each other every single year. You already knew who was going to be there. Um, so, like, the numbers that he's putting up right now really is that's some legendary stuff. That is um, where you could put it. But you know that the goalpost always moves when it comes to Jokic and, like, the type of player that he is. So he's going to have to do three for it to really count. Yeah, I, I, I think three is the minimum for that kind of – to, for that kind of um, uh, conversation about him, but of course I, I agree with with Wade. In my heart, he's already there. But, but we, we'll just need some some more uh, some more hardware to show for. Okay, yeah. that will be all for this episode of Serbian Corner. And since next week is Christmas, and I don't want to bother you guys on Christmas, and 
uh, one after that is New Year, and New Year is my favorite holiday. I'll be seeing you again in three weeks on the Serbian Christmas Eve on January 6th. That will be the beginning of the third season of the show, and I promise you the third one will be more epic than the first two. I have something special brewing for April, but more about that when we get closer to that. I wish a wonderful season greetings to everyone, and I'll see you all next year. Idemo na.